0: It was pleasant to drive back to the hotel in the late afternoon, above a sea as mysteriously coloured as the agates and cornelians of youth. Green as green milk, blue as laundry water, wine dark.
1: Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a journalist for nearly 20 years, most recently as the Home and Design Director at Departures magazine and this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel. All the elements of a well-lived life. The passage you heard in the intro is from the immortal 1934 novel Tender is the Night by F. Scott Fitzgerald. The book is about a glamorous couple who rent a villa in the south of France and was inspired by a hotel on the Riviera in Antibes, the Hotel du Cap Eden Rock. The seaside hotel has been around for more than 100 years and survived two world wars, constantly shifting tastes, and helped to crystallize and define luxury in the 20th century and beyond. It's easier to describe who hasn't stayed there than who has. Picasso sunbathed, Winston Churchill probably smoked a cigar, and as one of my guests today described, if you want a chicken Caesar salad in the cabana where Chagall painted, you can do that. For having such a long and illustrious history, the hotel has only changed hands a few times. Since the 60s, It's been owned consistently by the Ochre family and is still today part of the Ochre collection of hotels. During the pandemic, the hotel unveiled new restaurants with a menu by consulting chef Eric Freshon, with spaces that are the epitome of Postcard Perfect. And since 1946, each year during the Cannes Film Festival, the Hotel du Cap Eden Rock is the home away from home for Hollywood's A-list. Once the parties die down, actors can relax in solitude in a way that can't be beat. To celebrate the hotel's rich and complex history, there's a new book by Flammarion and distributed by Ruzzoli, Hotel du Cap Eden Rock, a timeless legend on the French Riviera. It has an intro from a journalist that knows the hotel very well, Graydon Carter. The editor of Airmail and the former editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair describes his first stay at the hotel when he was there to host a party decades ago. Carter writes, I booked a room at the Eden Rock since it would be closer to the dining room where we would have the dinner. To be honest, I didn't quite get the room at first. I was expecting something a bit more Parisian, a bit more belle époque. This was not that. This was Spartan. There was no television, no radio, and just two pillows for a king sized bed. The room was modern, but with gentle French flourishes. There was a wall of glass with sliding doors leading out onto a balcony overlooking the sea, with an outdoor dining table and two chaises. In time, I grew to appreciate and cherish the pastel tranquility of the rooms at the Eden Rock. Indeed, they may be my favorite hotel rooms anywhere. Televisions have been added, and there are extra pillows. But the understated elegance of the rooms today is pretty much the same as it was 25 years ago. Just somehow fresher, and with more pillows. To really understand the Hotel du Cap Eden Rock and its importance is to grasp the evolution of luxury and travel itself. I spoke with Alexandra Campbell, the London-based author of the book who studied the property's history extensively. Her knowledge of the hotel's past and its connections with historic events are unparalleled. And later, I speak with Philippe Perd, the hotel's general manager and chief development officer and co-managing director for the Oatger Collection. If anyone understands the real standards of luxury, it's Philippe. Alexandra, before the hotel is even a hotel... The south of France emerges from obscurity and even coincides with the actual grand tours of Europe. Is that right? Uh, yes.
0: I mean, you, you'll have heard of the grand tour of people going off to Italy. Normally, they're quite well off, the the rich people rich people and people interested in classical art and architecture and classical literature who used to flock to Italy and Greece in the in the 18th century. It was always quite fraught with problems traveling around, funny, you know, bad roads and poor communications and journeys that took a long, long time. And people used to travel around in in the winter time to get winter sun. And then for various reasons, you know, either sort of outbreaks of malaria or cholera or perilous roads, people stopped going as far as Italy and found that the south of France
1: um, could offer them this glorious climate. So, they just sort of stopped and said, hey, this is nice. Let's stop. Well, let's not go over the Alps. Is that basically?
0: Yeah, let's not go over the alps because it's really quite difficult you know in, in a sort of chair and <laughs> people because you 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 know you had to literally had to get people to carry you over the alps in a chair you know there were no trains no cars carriages wouldn't make it over the alps
1: so well, and you wouldn't dare walk yourself, right? So someone would have to physically carry you.
0: Exactly. And and Tobias Smollett, who is a, a Scottish physician, wrote a, a book about, about travels in the Mediterranean and he went down to the south of France with his family and, you know, loved it there and wrote about it. And so gradually people started to hear about it and read about it and they'd stop there really before
1: getting to the Alps. And what was there to do back then when you when they went there? Were there places to stay or, you know, what sort of infrastructure was there in, in that sort of early 1800s?
0: Yeah, simple, simple inns, no, no fabulously grand hotels, nothing like that.
1: And how does the south of France sort of transform from a place that's sort of desolate with just a few inns um, and sort of almost like a French uh, backwater, if you will, um, which is described in the book? Um, and how does that transform from that to a place where there were villas and, and larger um, sort of places like that?
0: The transformation really came about after Napoleon was defeated. Because really, for a while, with the French Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars, there wasn't. And travelling became quite um, difficult afterwards. In the eighteen twenties, people started going out again to the continent. Quite a lot of British people who try, was were trying to escape Fogland. <laughs> so actually, in a funny way, it sort of provided a, a lot of comfort um you know, to to escape maybe uh sad things that had happened in their lives. You know, the sort of sunshine and the the warmth of the climate, the, the people um who were kind and, and and lovely and um um I think the simple way of life down there really appealed.
1: So when does the idea of an actual Hotel du Cap begin?
0: Well the the owner, there's a chap, Um, called Hippolyte de Villemesson, who was the owner of the Figaro, the newspaper Le Figaro. And and he was an extraordinary, larger-than-knife character who wanted in the sort of 1850s and 60s to open a a sort of maison de santé down in in the south of France. And really, for for burnt-out cases, burnt-out creatives, um, writers and artists and musicians.
1: He's a saint. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> who you needed um, a beautiful place for, for inspiration and to get away from the city and he said you know that he he called Paris a place where, you know, you it would fry your brains. I mean, that's what he said. And so, you, you needed just to get away and relax and, and soak up the sun a bit. And Now, some people rather sort of cynically said, you know, that he was doing this at a time when people were developing land in the south of France.
1: This is a great way to get, um, you know, to get fancy people to go down there, right, Just to offer a poor writer in 18 whatever and in, in France like a free trip you right? <laughs> know a free a free stay which is, of course they probably would not have been able to afford absolutely
0: i mean you know i think la- land was quite cheap down there and also you know it was quite it was quite cheap to, to build on land down there labor was very cheap a lot of people said well it's all very well you know saying that you've got these great you- you're motivated philanthropically to sort of open a a place for for uh, tired artists and 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 writers, but you're actually going to you know take part in in the development of of that part of the world for for um for money you know for for profit. But I I choose to believe that you know he really did want to uh, have a haven for for writers.
1: Before we return to the program, I'd like to thank our sponsor, B&B Italia, a leader in luxury designer furniture, founded in 1966. The company stands out for its representation of contemporary culture and for its research and innovation, which has allowed the brand to create products with unique style and elegance. The brand is the fruitful partnership between the company's research and development center in Northern Italy and the best international design professionals. The iconic products of B&B Italia radically mark the history of design. The brand has so many legendary pieces, and there's one to fit every personality. If I had to redecorate an outdoor terrace in the south of France, I would choose an outdoor Borea sofa by Piero Lissoni. I love the design's fluffy cushions, and the striped fabric option would look amazing by the water. The collection's thin metal frame makes the design seem as light as air. Which iconic work of design is right for your personality? Visit bebitalia.com for more information. The hotels we know it today is born from the end of Villemaison's dream and the shift to a new owner, as Alexandra explains.
0: It's really an idea, the Villa Soleil. It it was only ever an idea. That's the interesting thing. Because what happens is Alexei de Plestier ran with it, uh, had it built by an architect called Abbe, who... Uh, built a villa for Denery, who is also a, a friend of Villemesson called Les Vert, and this Russian really moved with the idea of, of of having a hotel. So the cornerstone was placed there in 1868 or 1869. Uh, but the following year, it was opened as a Hotel du Cap by Alexei de Pleschev, by the Russians. So this pipe dream that that had, uh, he never realised it. Uh, it was realised by the Russians.
1: And what were those early years like you know when you know after it had been built but before the the jazz age and and sort of the modern the modern era what were those years like
0: well amazingly it was built And it it was open for one season only, Dan. The Franco-Prussian War broke out in the summer of um, 1870, and the hotel had to shut down. So, it was really only open in the sort of from February till April, probably. Wow. And then it closed, and it lay uh, dormant, like the Sleeping Beauty, for about 17 years. It had sort of nettles growing around it, flaky shutters, and very sort of neglected Um, until the arrival of an Antoine seller from Turin, Piedmontese. And he uh, had experience of uh, running and owning hotels in Italy. And he came over and and he he saw the villa and thought how interesting and I'd really like to sort of, I think this would be an amazing place to to open and and run as a hotel. And he actually really managed it. He arrived in the late 80s until 1903 when, uh, with the help of a a lord, he bought it. Lord Onslow gave him a cheque for half a million um, francs and uh, enabled Seller to buy this hotel that he'd been managing for a dozen years and to make the sort of necessary changes and modernizations to it to to make it into a proper, lovely hotel, a modern Palais Hotel uh, in 1903.
1: And so started the 20th century and the hotel's emergence as the center of the glamorous world of society, the Jazz Age and the evolving modern tastes that define elegance to this day. Alexandra, with such a long history, what is the moment when it goes from just another hotel to the sort of nexus of events that we think of it as today?
0: Well, I think the, the, the flashpoint is the end of the First World War. You know, it changed everything, the First World War. And what you get is a lot of Americans staying in, in Europe Paris, um, which is the most liberal, fascinating, interesting city of light, uh, there's a number of Americans who come and, and, and settle in Paris after the First World War, artists and, and writers. And France becomes a, a great place to, to visit after the, after the war, after this period of you know great suffering and greyness and people being unable to travel for, for four years. Uh, you suddenly get this craving you know, it's a sort of he- it's a period of hedonism, really, after the war. And in fact, you know, the colours of the South of France, wonderfully bright and appealing and inviting, and everything has to be lived at a sort of high octane level. I think in the twenties, uh, because of the suffering that that people had been through in this first total war, really, um, from fourteen to eighteen.
1: And and who is the person that? Who, who's the person that goes and tr- stays there and starts to tell their friends?
0: Well, Cole Porter was one of the first people who was out there. And he invited um, a couple called Gerald and Sarah Murphy. Um, and she was um, a, society, a society girl. And... Uh, They were a great couple with an amazing capacity for making friends and for keeping them. He um, had an artistic talent, he liked painting, and together they were introduced, this couple were introduced to the south of France by Cole Porter, who felt rather sorry for them when they uh, were spending some of their holidays up up, uh, on the north coast. And the weather was was not very reliable. And Cole Porter invited them down to stay at his villa in the south of France, and that was just a game changer. They said, you know, we're never going to spend summer holidays up in in uh, you know on the north coast again. And they decided to um, renovate and uh, renovate an old farmhouse near the Cap or on the Cap. Um, and whilst their house was being um, done up they persuaded Antoine Seller to keep the hotel Eden Rock open for them so that they could rent um, rent rooms there and that was in 1923 and so gradually this hotel that was really a, uh, a wintering uh, resort uh, became um, a summer, a summer hotel, and that summer, I think um, they had Picasso and his wife and kid, and, um, and Picasso's mother-in-law, and they had other friends turning up around that time. The, the Fitzgeralds, um, F. Scott and Zelda, and um, Dorothy Parker, Alice B. Toklas, uh, Gertrude Stein. Um, Later, it was sort of Hemingway. Uh, but there were amazing writers um, and artists and and famous names.
1: And I think for people of that time, if you were a person of a particular type of wealth, you were probably living a normal life that's quite restrictive and very formal with a lot of expectations placed upon you. Um, and society is, performs in a certain type of way. And probably the idea of escaping to the south of France in summer when it's hot with other artists and things like that. It was You were kind of removed from those expectations. Is that true?
0: Absolutely. Um, and where you could mingle with people, as you said, that you wouldn't normally come across at home in New York. You wouldn't come across Picasso in, in, a, in a T-shirt or a pair of black swimming trunks and a sombrero or a Stetson, which I think he did wear.
1: There's a sketch by Picasso in the book of three women nude uh, on a piece of hotel stationery. To me it kind of shows the duality of the space. It's at one time the center of society, but it's also removed from it in a way of privacy and exclusivity. Is that right?
0: Yes, I mean I think he I think he was slightly in love with with Sarah Murphy. And I th- I think that that picture that you refer to maybe one of the models is wearing a with, is wearing pearls she uh nicole diver is described as wearing pearls on the beach in tender is the night um and there there's a wonderful contrast between the, the the luminescence of the pearls and 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 her dark skin tanned from the sun and this was a this was a time when tanning became fashionable when people just wanted to strip off and feel the sun on their skin. And it was good to look sun-kissed and caramel-coloured. And,
1: Which was totally new for the time.
0: Totally new. Um, and I think people were then discovering the health benefits of tanning. You know, in moderation, it's very good for you. And people felt good after a day in the sun. So, there was a great liberation, as you said, the feeling of liberation, of, you know, enjoying yourself. The 20s were a period of, of enjoyment after... People were still haunted, obviously, by by the war, and I think it was a it was a means of escaping from from the memories of that.
1: And F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote his his final sort of his final work, um, Tender Is the Night, that's sort of um, loosely based on his stay there. Yes, I think
0: I think what happened was Scott was finished finishing The Great Gatsby in the south of France around that time. And it was 10 years later that Tender is a Night came out. Um, and it's the most wonderful book with the uh, set, the, 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 the opening part um, is set at the Hotel du Cap. Tender is a Night, the, the main characters, uh, Dick and Nicole Diver, are an amalgam of Gerald and Sarah Murphy, and uh, F. Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald. I mean, the Zelda was quite quite mad, really. Um, at that time, <laughs> she was a, a thrill seeker, and she'd dive off the rocks at midnight.
1: And when we get to World War Two and that era. Um, when things start to shut down. Can you explain a little bit about what that was like and how the region sort of reacted to, you know, reacted to the war period and to the late 30s and, and so on?
0: When the war broke out, it really, things came to a screeching halt. It's very funny that sort of in 1938, people who were sort of watching the skies noticed that Mars, Mars was getting quite close to the earth. And so a lot of people thought it was the, it sort of presage, the end of the world. And this was the summer of nineteen thirty eight, just before the Munich Agreement, so Europe really was sort of inching closer to war and and just avoiding it at the last minute. There was a great gala at the Hotel Eden Rock in the early summer of thirty eight, where people thought, right, we're going to party because if tomorrow the world is going to end.
1: <laughs> the end of the world party.
0: <laughs> the end of the world party. With the famous Hope Diamond, which was passed round. It was a forty-five carat blue diamond uh, that had belonged to Marie Antoinette and various other sort of rather unlucky people. <laughs> M- Mrs. McLean, who owned it in 1938, brought it to the Eden Rock and put it in the vault there, and then brought it out on the night of the great gala while people were sort of pouring themselves lovely glasses of champagne and. But the world didn't end, except it sort of ended the following year in in 1939. Uh, It was the end of of the world for a lot of people. Uh, September 1939, um, the Cannes Film Festival was due to open, the first Cannes Film Festival um, in September 1939. And it was postponed until 1946.
1: And after the post war period, the hotel eventually changed hands to the Oakers that still own it today, correct?
0: I think there was no natural successor. Um, Antoine Seller died, um, I think, in the the sort of late 20s, and um, his son took over. But after a decade or so after the Second World War, the family still remained in the Seller's hands. But I think there came a point where the natural successor in that family didn't come forth, really. So, the story goes that in, in 1964, Rudolph and, and Maya Utke were on their yacht uh, sailing past the bluff and, and saw it and fell in love. And um, they eventually met uh, Mr. Seller, and there was a n- completely a natural connection. They made a connection. They realized that their principles were the same, believed in the same sort of things. They're, ethos was was identical. And the Oetkers eventually bought it in 1969. And there was an almost seamless um, transition from Italian to German ownership. And the Oetkers changed very little, I think, so that clients you know, could feel comfortable r- returning there. Because it's got a huge repeat business. Huge.
1: Before we return to our program, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Arnimist. Artemis is the world's fastest-growing online retail destination for exclusive Italian luxury design, decor, lighting, and gifts. Founded in 2015, Artemis celebrates and preserves authentic Italian craftsmanship by providing a global platform for more than 1,000 independent producers, designer-makers, and artisans, and features thousands of exclusive products. The unparalleled online edit you find on Artemis includes the most extraordinary Italian makers for which the country is world-renowned. Design lovers and casual shoppers alike can search through more than 50,000 items, and you can take a closer look with multimedia content, such as 360-degree views, videos, and detailed descriptions of each maker's history and specialized techniques. Listeners of The Grand Tourist can enjoy 10% off at Artemis with the code the Grand Tourist. That's one word. So visit Artemis.com for more information. That's A-R-T-E-M-E-S-T dot com. I wanted to get a better understanding of the hotel as it is today, so there was no one better to speak with than Philippe Perd, Chief Development Officer and Co-Managing Director of the Ochre Collection, and the General Manager of the Hotel du Cap Eden Rock. In the age of athleisure wear and iPhones at the dinner table, I wanted to know how a property like this adapts to the 21st century.
2: So I've been at the Hotel du Cap uh, for 15 years as as managing director. And since 2009, uh, I uh, oversee uh, the development for Utker Collection as a chief development officer. So I've been very loyal to the Utker family for actually 20 years Next June.
1: Did you have any hesitation when they when they offered you that position? It seems like a lot of pressure. No, I mean you have the the world's most selective guests and and such expectations of such a legendary property. Was that was that a tough decision? It. it I,
2: I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't say it was a tough decision because you know during uh, uh, the four years I, I spent at the Chateau Saint Martin, uh, you know I, I I had already thought of of you know, managing the Hotel du Capitan Rock the, the sister property. Um I just didn't know if it would be offered to me and, and, and when. Um, but I knew as well that, you know, like I guess in in any property you, you don't you don't do it yourself. You you do it with a team, you do it with a dedicated uh staff. Uh and I think that, that's what makes that's what made the difference. Um, you know, I think they understood that I wanted to take the Hotel du Cap in Rock to, I would say, a new era. I, I like to say writing a new chapter of the same book um, with them, you know, uh, anticipating uh, guest expectations at the time, uh, but respecting the the past of the property uh, uh, you know the, the the legacy that was for me super important
1: and what is this new chapter about what did you what did you want to what story did you want to tell with this new chapter what was different about it
2: you know I guess guest expectations um, were were changing you know um, you know they were expecting improvement in uh, uh, in 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 the service improvement in the product uh, a new concept, uh, but what was very important is to maintain that the soul of the, of the property, uh, that very, um, unique atmosphere, the, the authenticity, the uniqueness of the place. Um, subtle, you know, changes were, were made. And, and I remember when we decided to embark on a, on that large renovation program back in, in 2006. Truly, we spend time with our guests asking them, you know, what uh, would they consider um, a positive change or not so positive and And their feedback was carefully monitored uh, and I think the, the biggest compliment that, you know, um, were made to us is, is simply that sometimes they walked into a room and, and said nothing has changed when you, we had just spent 30 million dollars, uh, euros in a renovation. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was carefully done. I think they have, they had habits. They had, um, you know, a, a comfort uh in their uh usual accommodation the usual setting that they wanted to keep so we had to carefully you know um manage that that part of the renovation and of course you know to offer a, a choice in in the in restaurants in in the bars uh was for me a priority because there was only one restaurant before uh so we we decided you know to uh Create uh, uh, a new outlet, the the, the swimming pool, the Eden Rock Grill, um, and then you know we we changed uh, year after year after year uh, uh, concept. We we had a we had a, a sushi bar. There. Then we had a, um, a, a different uh, food concept for some years. Now we have just decided to go for uh, you know shellfish and uh, and seafood bar. Uh, I think it's important to anticipate uh, guest expectation and and to come up with uh, a lot of creativity in in what we do, but always, you know, making sure that uh, it is aligned uh, with, you know, what what they want, what they expect. Um,
1: And to someone who's totally uninitiated, you know, who's never seen it or never heard uh, of the hotel – how do you describe the hotel to them? What is your uh, elevator pitch?
2: It's it's. I mean, you know, I I like to say the it's the title of the book we which has been written. A timeless legend, you know, very very iconic. The authenticity associated with uh, human touch uh, and simple pleasures uh, prevail. I think what um, you know what is important is to to create um, meaningful connection between you know uh my team and and uh and our and and the guest and I think that uh extremely important to to do that respecting this old fashioned i would say maybe not old fashioned but classical you know uh style uh and very warm hospitality yeah I would say this is how we describe it. We are uh a team that um you know uh is able to create this this uh um, this meaningful connection, and I think that travelers uh, uh, expect, you know, this, uh, uh, the, this, this, you know, sentiment of of uh, being cared for, n- not just being served by people that have a job, that people that you know are at a hotel just because they're paid at the end of the month. They want to feel at home. They want to. You know, be um, welcomed back by friends almost when they return to the hotel, and I
1: think that we we have been able to do that. How many how many people are work at the hotel in any given season?
2: So the number keeps increasing. Um, it is now close to five hundred and fifty. Wow. Uh, So to give you an idea, and obviously this goes with the the, the high expectations of our guests and and the new concept and the new outlets and the new villas. And uh, we had 260 guests backed in 205. We we are close to 550. Sorry,
1: 550 people work there or stay there?
2: No, no, no. 550 staff currently every season, uh, uh the versus 260 in 205. So the number has more than doubled. But, you know, we, uh, as I said, we created a new restaurant, which requires over a hundred staff between the kitchen and, you know, and the waiters. And we now have our own riverboat. We have uh, our, you know, limousine meet and greet service at the airport. So, The experience starts really at the time the guest make, you know, makes a reservation. Uh, and that was my dream. You know, could we make sure that when the door of the aircraft opens, there is an Hotel du Capitan Rock staff smiling? And this is what we do today. The meet and greet service starts at the door of the aircraft. So of course it's you know you take that that stay that experience to a different dimension because it's you know it's it's quite unique you know and the same on the way back to the airport regardless the room type the guest reserve there is a you know um that that run trip transfer part of the experience with the meet and greet at the airport it's a minimum of four nights required but it is, uh, you know, uh, included regardless of the room type or the room rates. And that's, I think, very important. We, you know, it took us about, yeah, but almost 10 years, you know, to put that in place. Uh, it's been a long process, but now we are yeah, extremely satisfied, you know, to offer that, that uh, great service.
1: While the hotel has evolved over the years and has a universal appeal, it's not quite for everyone. Some sense of formality is eternal, it seems. And the river of respect flows in both directions, from guest to staff and staff to guest.
2: I saw a lady pass by uh, holding a bottle of Coke, you know, uh, in her hands. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, my reaction was not, oh my God, you're having an interview, Uh, let her just walk down. I couldn't. I just couldn't help it. So, I almost jumped on her and said, I'm "Sorry, c- could I please take uh, the bottle?" And um, the waiter will. Can you give you a glass? And she she was shocked, you know. And then she mentioned to one of the concierge, uh, you know how, you know how was this possible? You know, she felt you know, uh, offended. And and I, I spoke to her in the evening and I said, you know, I, I didn't want to offend you, but you cannot walk through the hotel lobby with a bottle, you know, uh, in your hand, which you took from your private bar. Uh, it, it, it just cannot happen. So, and, and we had that interesting, you know, discussion, but then you realize that that type of, of guest Cannot you know? Um, yeah, cannot be welcomed in our property because what makes the atmosphere of a property? What makes its soul? It's the combination of you know um, uh, the way they behave, the way their their enjoyment, the way they appreciate every minute, the way they appreciate the experience, and and also the you know the way the the staff. Uh, interact with them, uh, and if they don't understand that, you know, uh, elegance, sophistication in an informal setting, atmosphere, is, you know, what makes a place what it is today, it, you know, it wouldn't work. We, you know, we, we, we tend to say, I mean, these this past few months, years, maybe, let's deformalize a little bit some of this grand damn hotel because guest expectation have changed the the jacket and tie for example was still you know uh, part of the dress code 15 years ago it's not that long 15 years ago but guests would understand that it doesn't mean that you're not elegant uh, and that you disrespect you know the property it's simply that you know, uh, you don't want to, uh, wear a tie or a jacket when it's, you know, 35 degrees Celsius, uh, you know, by, by the, and you sit on the Eden Rock Terrace. But you see, to the contrary, you don't want to see someone hanging around with a bottle of, of, of Coke or beer or whatever, uh, in its hands. And, and, you know, I give these two examples, but you need the balance and that sophistication that level of sophistication that level of elegance you know the the respect for the tradition the respect for the staff as well because uh, it's not easy for a staff member to you know uh stop a guest when
1: he or she does not behave well let's say a a good friend of yours wanted was coming to stay at the hotel for the first time ever how would you set up the perfect day for them? What what would that perfect day be like?
2: I mean, I, I like that question then because I have imagined it so many times. <laughs> Walking through the garden in a in a in the morning—that's the first thing I would do um, because it's it's just magical. You know, you you listen to the the birds singing and to the the waves uh, splashing on the on the rock and. Um, then I would enjoy a great game of tennis. Um, Mm. You know, we have five amazing clay tennis courts uh, with a great coach, Raymond, who's been with us for decades. And after that, you know, after a shower, I would have um, breakfast on the terrace of the restaurant, Uh, you know, enjoying a beautiful buffet, uh, you know, um, reading a paper. and, And then on to you know uh, a unique area which is the um, the cabanas you know uh i would enjoy the day by the cabana in a cabana sorry by the sea probably even having lunch there although i could have lunch in the grill by the pool um and and then on to um uh, a long reading session reading session in the afternoon where's a good place to read yeah i would uh, sit in one of the cabanas uh, i think this would be perfect yeah absolutely i mean there are many places where we could i could imagine myself and then i would i would love to um, to get a, a great massage or facial treatment in the spa after that <laughs> very complicated day <laughs> um and enjoy a you know get ready uh to enjoy a a glass of uh of bellini on the on the terrace of the bellini bar uh looking forward to uh, to have a great dinner uh in the Lou Rock restaurant which is the the new restaurant of Eden Rock because we have uh, I did not mention that but developed a new concept with um, our uh, executive chef Arnaud Poet and Sébastien Broda Uh, the restaurant chef with the fantastic support of uh, our new consulting chef, Eric Fréchon, which is a free Michelin star chef at the Bristol in Paris. And Luroc got awarded a Michelin star this year, which is is fantastic. What would you order? (laughs) Um, You know, I remember the uh, crust sea bass. uh, You know, I I can still taste it. It was just uh, unbelievable. And... um, (laughs) Uh, I know Eric Fréchon and the team are preparing new dishes for this summer. But that would be my day, and I will end actually the day, you know, uh, smoking a cigar uh, in the champagne lounge uh, above the restaurant. Um, you know, the, the 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 view there is 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 just phenomenal. So yeah, this is for me a perfect day. But you know, it, it could still be perfect doing different things. Within the hotel, without even going out, um, we have guests that just enjoy so much spending 10 days, two weeks without, you know,
1: passing the,
2: the main gates of the hotel. That's quite amazing.
1: Since the Cannes Film Festival began, the hotel has been the backdrop for some of the most glamorous events and guests. I wanted to get the inside scoop on what the festival has meant to the hotel in modern times.
2: You know... I would say it's the most exciting week, one of uh, our favorite time of the year, because I think we excel serving our guests during that difficult time. I know that you know the higher is the pressure on our shoulders, the better we perform. We perform much better during the Cannes festival or during the months of July than we do when we open the hotel in April, <laughs> so the cannes festival it's um very special and it has been for the hotel since 1946 and you know i like to say that this year being the 65th anniversary of the Cannes festival it would be great if it could happen of course it is uh, supposed to happen first two weeks of july if it cannot happen during that period it, it may happen in september like it was you know uh in 1946, the first Cannes Festival was in uh, in September. Actually, it's a special time. Uh, we host amazing dinners, fashion shows, parties. It's a great period. Uh, the hotel is is filled with uh, famous, you know, uh, uh, celebrities, and and uh, it's the refuge for people that. Sometimes don't want to be seen and don't want to be seen, um, and I think we we anticipate really well. You know that that difficult period because it's, it's not easy. You know uh, the, the the pressure, the level of activities is very high. But we anticipate. Uh, we 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 are well prepared. At, at the end of the, f- the the festival, we debrief on what went well, what didn't go so well. Uh, and and al- already, you know, uh, make notes for, for the next year. Um, but having uh, experienced the first Cannes Festival, I remember in two oh six, I was lucky because uh, I believe in 2006, we had the Da Vinci Code, uh, you know, uh, premiere. And I mean, what, what an exceptional, you know, uh, year it was. Uh, I'll never forget uh seeing uh audrey totu walking uh on her road with a big smile on her face enjoying every second you know it it's these these are the kind of moments that I will never forget and that's that's what you know the the hotel du capitan Rock offers it offers these very special moments which you cannot have you know anywhere else during a crazy period which is the Cannes festival
1: i will I will ask this when you when you're preparing for that week, there must be something that you order for maybe the kitchen or the bar that you make sure that you have enough of that gets ordered by a lot of uh, people from Hollywood. Is it, uh, is it a lot of sparkling water? Is it a lot of champagne? I, I hope I, I hope not a Coca-Cola bottle, but... Te- tequila and vodka. Oh, okay. <laughs> you probably go through a season's worth of tequila and... In, in, uh... Yeah, probably the the alcohol that we
2: serve the most. I mean, it's quite impressive late in the night you know
1: (laughs) you must have a guest uh or multiple guests that have been staying with you for for decades at this point um how how do you how how can you distinguish a guest that's been there for many many years what is what do they know that the new guests don't know
2: they know some of them know the hotel
1: better than me like what what do they what do they know
2: i mean you know they they would walk into the the kitchen they could hug they would hug the the concierge where uh, actually that's something that amazed me when i when i started you know they were greeted like like family they would know you know if i don't know i give you an example but if a waiter was late for whatever reason the the person would know why before me sometimes you know that's it's the level of 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 trust and and Uh, and the relationship they have established over the years that, you know, is very special. And I know that there are certain things that are discussed between guests and staff that are not discussed with me or with my colleagues, you know.
1: That's how it is. I mean... (laughs) About how many years do you have to stay there before you can just walk right into the kitchen?
2: (laughs) Probably 50 years. So that's why there are not too many. (laughs) You know, we decided last year no two years ago to plant a tree for guests that had stayed with us for over for 50 years so and they have their initial on the tree and it's a pine tree actually and we felt that you know it was a nice a nice touch um, and and they were they felt extremely honored and, and, and privileged. So that's a little ceremony that we, we had. How many how many trees are there? We've we've had we've had four already two years ago. Unfortunately, you know, none last year, and I don't know about this year. Uh, but fifty years it's a long time, and and especially some of them that have stayed fifty years
1: consecutively. Thank you to Alexandra Campbell, Philippe Perd, and the entire team at the hotel for making this happen. Special thanks to Perone International. The editor of this episode is Stan Hall. Transcriptions are by Kara Johnson. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Grand Tourist. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more. Don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time.